Welcome to Cut the Fluff, a space where we drop the small talk, peel back the curtains, and truly delve into what it is that makes us tick and what's keeping us up at night. You can expect honest, raw, and very vulnerable conversations. What's your story? What's your sign? It's like we're twin flames in a different life. Deep connection, lights a spark. It's like you know me in the depths of my heart. We're dreamers. Welcome to another episode of Cut the Fluff. In today's episode, Annika and Daniela will be discussing the power of the mind. We'll be exploring the placebo effect, the nocebo effect. After Annika had a bit of a run-in with a tick and Daniela has had a number of ongoing health issues, which she's actually started to question whether it's all in the mind. We also touch on the topic of panic attacks and how to go about diffusing them in the moment of panic. We hope you find today's episode enjoyable and useful. And as always, if you enjoyed it, hit the subscribe button and share it with a friend that you think might find it useful. Hello, hello. Welcome back. Hello, friend. All right, what have we got in store today? Uh, Today, I actually, your little story last night got me thinking. So are you willing to share your story about your experience and what happened and how things escalated? And then I'll kind of turn off into another hemisphere. (laughs) Let's do it. Let's do it. Let's share the story. I mean, to anyone else, it's not really that climactic, but I guess there's a bit of a, a fear around this type of creature that I encountered last night and uh, so I live on the east coast of Australia up in Byron where it's sort of is it considered the tropics like yeah I'd say it's pretty tropical in climate up there the more north you go from there obviously it gets more tropical yeah so with tropical comes all types of critters we've seen snakes in our backyard Um, I've had a few spiders in the house and Yesterday, I had my first encounter with a tick, Um, but it was funny the way it came about, and I think this is probably going to be too much information for the listeners, but if they're still with us, then you're in for a treat, (laughs) Um, because it all came about last night. I'd put the kids to bed. I came upstairs. (laughs) You're like... Putting kids to bed is a marathon. Like I actually like do a few push-ups before I gear up for the bedtime stories and like You can do this. (laughs) (laughs) So once you're done, you like power up the stairs, I put the kettle on and like I just have a bit of a slob on Instagram just scrolling. And as I was like leaning over the counter, I was just rubbing my neck, which I think is a natural mannerism of mine. I was just like feel the nape of my neck. And I felt this bump and I was like, whoa, is that a pimple that I've missed? Like that's, that's hard. Maybe it's not even a pimple. It's a, it's a blackhead. And I pulled it and I thought, now this is the bit that's too much information. So I'm sorry, but I thought it was like hard, crusty pus. That's disgusting, isn't it? And I was like, there's a whole social media channel on Dr. Pimple Popper. So there are people out there listening to this that are like, yes, tell me more. And then there's people like tuning out. (laughs) Which I also love that channel, by the way. I I don't know. I'm I'm love hate relationship for me. (laughs) It's just like compulsive viewing. Anyway, so I thought it was that. And I was like, whoa, this is huge. This is disgusting and a little bit exciting. (laughs) So I. 
Is this going to affect our friendship? I'm no. No, I love it. <laughs> I pulled it out expecting it to be like crusty pus and it was a fucking tick the size of like half my pinky, so about five millimetres. Wow. So if you're wondering what a tick looks like compared to like a head lice, huge, can't miss it. And because I would thought it was pus, I pulled it off, which now reading all the Google stuff oh you went yeah because you messaged me you're like help (laughs) spiraled i was like the one thing you know about ticks is what lyme disease Mm. like it's just drilled into you and i think because we've been living in the states where ticks are such an issue on on the east coast i think on both coasts in the warm weather um that my biggest fear was like fuck i'm gonna get lyme disease anyway i pulled it off and i was like no and i squeezed it and it's like really hard they're like jurassic creatures it didn't die it faked it it like laid like this plane dead for three seconds i kid you not starfished it starfished on me i squished it again starfished and and then it started to like crawl away i did it a third time did the same charade and then i was like i got my knife and i and again sorry viewers like I had to slice and it in half. <laughs> and I sliced it in half. So now, um, thanks to your advice, I actually retrieved it out of the bin and it's sitting in a plastic glad Ziploc bag, sliced in half. <laughs> this is two sides of this tick in case I need to get it. Has tested. it got its head still attached? Because from my understanding, that's where the issue is if it doesn't have its head still on. It's definitely got a head and it's got four legs on either side and it's got like two little pincers okay and they're attached so i think so the issue occurs when like um from my understanding i'm no expert but when you yank it out quite often a body part is left in there and that's what actually penetrates and goes into the body and then you have a very small time frame to actually get on top of it um it can be whether you know it be via antibiotics or whatever it is but that's i know when lime is the risk factor um but here in Australia, we don't really have an issue with Lyme. So it's a tough one. And Lyme is a scary, scary, scary ah. thing that is really hard to treat. I watched um, Holly Owens, uh, her Instagram handle is at well thy belly. She treated herself with bee venom therapy to get rid of Lyme. And yeah. just witnessing her and the process that she went through from energy levels and you know thinness of hair and everything like that just I sh- probably shouldn't be saying this as I look at your face you're like stop telling me this I'm like did I really get it out did I do we need to stop this podcast I need to run down to the GP get it looked at because I know you want to talk about the mind today and I don't know if my mind's playing tricks on me but I swear I can see a leg in there there's like a a mark well, it's, it's worth going and getting it checked out for the sake of it. Like you've got nothing to lose, my friend. No. I mean, I do have dad who's a doctor down the road who came over and gave it a look, but daughter of medical parents, they're always a bit like, she'll be right. I'll yeah. Just tap, just tap on the back. You'll be fine, mate. <laughs> yeah. So that was my journey last night. And then obviously spiraled in the mind of like, oh, like what are the outcomes of this what does it mean are there ticks on the kids what if the kids have them and yeah it's it's really it goes from like healthy caution 
to fire out panic quite quickly, zero to 100. Why I wanted to have today's discussion is ultimately what you were experiencing was reflected to me and I'm currently going through a bit of a health phenomenon. I can't even say that word. A phenomenon. I'll break it down very quickly. Came off the pill after being on it for 10 years. Haven't had a period since. It's been over three years now. Have seen every specialist under the sun, both Eastern and Western, every blood test under the sun. And I have recently started experiencing these ridiculous flare-ups, which end up flushing my skin, swelling my facial tissue and just aches, pains, and I don't know what it's from. I've had food allergy testing, like you name it, I've done it. I've I've even gone down the woo-woo path of like womb healing. And I'm now at the point where I, I'm like, is this all in the mind? Because every test that I have coming back to me is inconclusive. So right now I'm like, give me, give me the diagnosis. I will take it and run with it and do everything under the sun in my power not to have these flare-ups because they just knock me for six. I can't think clearly. I can't function. And I've ultimately gotten to a point right now where I'm fearing what I put in my mouth and the environment that I live in. And it's not a space that I want to be operating from. It really is not. And I know that that mindset is then fueling the anxiety. And it's just this vicious cycle of, yeah, it just really self-perpetuates. And just the power of the mind. And I think coming across this study has really made me second guess my outlook on this whole thing and just the relationship that I'm having with it because it's really hard for it not to get wrapped up in your identity as well um, because it's something that you're kind of, I don't want to say fighting against, but yeah, it is fighting against on a daily basis. It kind of becomes part of your narrative and I want to keep those two things very separate. It's like, I'm Daniela having this experience. I'm not this experience. If that kind yeah, of makes sense. Separating them for sure. Separating them. And so Yeah, I just wanted to, I guess, have it delve into that and read out a documented case regarding the power of the mind and the nocebo effect. And so this particular paragraph, as I said, is from the How to Do the Workbook from Dr. Nicole LaPera, which is really great. Uh, She's the holistic psychologist on Instagram, well worth checking out. And so this Um, In another documented case of nocebo effect in 2007, a 26-year-old man who was participating in a clinical trial on antidepressants was rushed to the hospital after an attempted overdose. On the heels of a fight with his girlfriend, he took 29 of the pills that had been prescribed for the study. When he arrived at the hospital, his blood pressure dropped to dangerously low levels near death levels, and he was sweating, shaking, and breathing rapidly. Once the doctors were able to stabilize him, they tested him and found no evidence of drugs in his system. When a doctor from the clinical trial arrived at the hospital, he realized that the young man had been placed in the placebo group, meaning that he had taken an inert or non-active pill. He had, it seemed, overdosed on his own negative thoughts and wishes. And when I read that, I just... 
Firstly, it blew my mind. There were a couple of other examples in there about like a, a, a gentleman that had been told that he only had six months to live. He died five months in. And then when the autopsy happened, he didn't actually have any terminal illness. And yeah. so just the power of the mind. And right yeah. now I find myself in this position where I'm like, I have done everything under the sun. I have been to specialists, both East and Western food protocols, tests. I've, I've spent close to $10,000. I've just had a look at all the bills all up. And it's getting to a point where I'm like, is this actually all to do with my mind? Like is, am I going bonkers? But you know, the rushing, the flushing, the, they're very visual experiences. So that's kind of reconfirming for me that this is actually happening because you know Lyme disease for example it's quite a naked to the eye kind of things there's no kind of visual effect as of such I'm I'm really flabbergasted my friend I just really am flabbergasted yeah no this is such an interesting topic because in my mind I have Dr Joe Dispenza who he has a incredible book called you are the placebo and the premise of that is that you don't need to be part of a clinical trial where you are taking the drug or not or taking the sugar pill like you can be the placebo to yourself by going by changing your thoughts and your energy state mm-hmm. and so you know by by disassociating to your identity as a the sick person and becoming nothing like not even the health, healthy person well yeah imagining yourself as a healthy person so a totally different state of being you create the placebo and the conditions for your body to reconfigure itself to be to fit that new identity mm. so the placebo is working for you i mean those studies are real um, there's countless stories of people thinking they're taking the pill but it's actually the um the placebo or the nocebo so l- let's just define placebo nocebo the difference between nocebo and placebo the placebo effect occurs when a placebo actually makes you feel better or improves your symptoms the nocebo effect on the other hand happens when a placebo makes you feel worse so they kind of go hand in hand like if you are in the clinical trial and you're getting the saline injection or you're taking the sugar pill and you think you're getting the the drug that you think will have a harmful effect that's the nocebo but if you're same situation if you're getting the saline or you're getting the sugar pill and you think it'll have a, a good outcome that's the placebo that's sort of the okay. mind tricking the body into having a positive outcome yeah yeah there's countless studies of that happening actually joe my partner was telling me i love this story so he works in weddings and events his company films a lot of weddings and so he's seen a lot of different crowds and as one crowd, they were shooting the wedding and the chefs had served dinner. And there was like over, you know, 200, 300 guests. It was a big wedding. And the chef got a call from the meat supplier saying, holy shit, we've just found out that the, the um, refrigeration wasn't working. So the meat that we gave you has defrosted and... Um, refrozen so not safe for consumption and the chef well shit we just served that up and um he was faced with a bit of a moral dilemma so he was like i think the right thing to do in this case is to go and tell the wedding party what's happened explain to the guests that they may experience symptoms of food poisoning 
Um, and so they made an announcement just after dinner and he said there was something like, like half the wedding party vomiting, started getting these symptoms of cramping. Some had to be rushed to hospital. They called the ambulance. Wow. Just because that seed was planted. Which happened to be the nocebo effect. So then the, the chef gets a call from the meat supplier again saying, oh, I'm so sorry. We've got our wires crossed. It was actually a different wedding party. The food's fine. You're good to go. And here on the other side, you have all these guests that have symptoms, like real physical symptoms, throwing up, wow. rashes. Um, so fascinating, isn't it? Like the power of the mind and the power of information to affect your physical reality is just mind-blowing. It is. And I've really started to question, I'm like, is this something that I don't want to let go of? Like in my mind, is this something that I'm not ready a story that I'm not let it, ready to let go of? And I'm like, no, I'm truly here to release this, but it just won't budge. So it's just been a bit of a mind game, honestly, mm. over the last, uh, you know, three odd years of, of just navigating this space. And I hope that through my experience, the card that I've been dealt in these circumstances, I'll hopefully be someone else's survival guide once I've figured out what the hell is going on. Yeah. Um, but even, you know, I've started looking into nervous system dysregulation and getting a better understanding of that. And I've spoken about in previous episodes, particularly episode three, which I actually just finished editing about my experience of existing in this constant fight or flight state of adrenaline, adrenaline, adrenaline. And I lived a lifestyle to feed into that. Like I was an events manager and in events, you don't rest. You are constantly on your toes. Something's going to go wrong. You have to be on top of it. And then the lifestyle choices that I made surrounding food, nightlife, et cetera, was just feeding into that. And I now, obviously that's probably had its repercussions as well on top of the contraceptive pill and I am still trying to get an understanding of how, even though I meditate, the yoga, et cetera, I still feel there's this like undertone of dysregulation in the nervous system because I catch myself out. I've been so used to operating from a level up here that when I operate from what others, some others would consider, you know, a normal pace, I find it quite mundane. I find it quite bland and I'll cause friction within my own life, whether that be, you know, setting impossible timelines for myself or putting really unnecessary pressure on myself just to cause friction to get the nervous system to respond in a heightened level. Mm, and I'm oh, and I'm constantly catching myself out because I'm also aware of the fact that cortisol, our stress hormone, has a major impact on, on hormones. And yeah. just, you know, if, for us to reproduce, we've got to be in a rest and digest state. And so I really understand the importance of me stabilizing my overall, I guess, functionality and, and nervous system and taking it down a notch in order for my body and my nervous system to feel safe enough to reproduce and then hopefully start having a cycle from there. And it's just, this has been one of the most eye-opening experiences. Um, firstly, from the perspective of 
how little, little we know about our cycles as a female and to the point of concern. I'm glad to see there's more like period literacy out there in school programs, at least the start of it, but just how little we actually know about our bodies and in the current climate as well, with everything that we've just discussed, you're for and against no matter where you stand. And I'm not denying that this, this thing that we're in is very real, but the amount of fear, the unknown, what is that doing to the mental state and how is that perpetuating our response to, and if we were to, you know, contract it, et cetera, how is that feeding into that? And so I think just being so aware of, controlling your internal environment or doing anything that you can to just help diffuse a little bit yeah just to really kind of yeah I would start to question how many how many nocebo effects are taking place yeah effects are taking place not to say that it's not a real thing I'm just like the the fear and how much that is actually perpetuating it because you know the moment you you find out you've got this deadly thing instantaneously I want to stop breathing and your breathing gets shallow and then that affects your nervous system and I think just being aware of that is is really important for you know a lot of people out there yeah definitely I mean it's crazy isn't it like even my tick bite is starting to ache because I'm like maybe it is in there and it's lodged and it's feeling achy, like I've just had a jab in the back of my shoulder. Um, but it's it's so fascinating how the mind creates the symptoms. And then, you know, there's the, the stories of once you see the doctor or the minute you're like pulling up to the ER, the symptoms die down and you yeah. feel safe. You see the doctor in the white coat and you're like, I'm going to be okay. Like we're, it's so programmed unconsciously that, I think you're right. The only thing we can do is try and manage that internal state to um, be conscious of of what environments you're in, but like regulate that nervous system so that you're not unconsciously taking on all that stress and that negative programming. Are you willing to share some of that stuff that you do to try and regulate the nervous system, whether they be daily practices, whether they be, you know, I, I experienced a full blown panic attack on Saturday and it's the first one I've had in, I'd go ahead and say close to 3.5 years. I used to be someone that had really regular panic attacks and then I haven't had one in probably about three and a half years, maybe even four actually. And I had a full-blown panic attack on Saturday. So, like, you know, do you have devices that you kind of whip out in moments of extreme need? Are, are there things that you do on a daily basis as a practice to just try and stabilize? Yeah. But, I mean, firstly, can you unpack that panic attack? Like, okay, did you feel it coming on? Were you like, in one minute, there's going to be a full tsunami hit my body? Or did it just like, boom, there it was? And how did you get through that I know this kind of symptoms of um, a panic attack I feel quite fleeting in nature I feel really uneasy and I just can't sit and I I can tell when I'm getting a little wound up and my practices that morning particularly I had a cold shower 
Um, I jumped off social media, wasn't on social media that entire morning or um, in contact with just anything that could fuel my internal fire that was going on at the time. Um, Then I also did a meditation to try and dampen the effects. And I also um, was journaling and I got myself to a point of feeling stabilized and okay internally, but then there was a moment where I just, and I think as well, I, I received a bit of a, a feedback flush and that I feel, and the helicopters overhead because of all the protests in the city, because I live in the center of town. I just all of a sudden felt really closed in and started to panic a little bit. And my first response was to go downstairs and be like, Hey, Amit, I'm having a panic attack. And Amit's really good in, in um, just like sitting with me and just, not touching or trying to smother in any way, just like, just reassurance in the space. And I'm so grateful that he's, he's been there and witnessed that previously because in those moments it can be, if someone's trying to hand you a glass of water and you're breathing, you know, quite shallow and, or um, hyperventilating, it can get really, um, I was, I, I was out of outside of my body, but I was so aware that it was going on. Mm. And for someone that hasn't had one before, they are the most daunting experiences. First time I ever had one was in a fish and chip shop. I, out of the blue, like, oh. but now, you know, with the experience, you can kind of sense, you're like, oh, this doesn't feel right. And so I just sat with it and I've developed a breathing technique that has really helped me over the past month. And I actually whipped it out while I was having this panic attack. And I hope this can help someone else out there, but it's counting down from 10 and it's, I shared it on my Instagram for anyone that wants to see it, but just quickly, it's inhaling in through the nose as slowly as you can. And then exhaling through the mouth while whispering the actual number that you're counting down from. So and then and it just gets you to slow down and I've also heard that um, a double inhale one exhale actually really assists if you're in a moment of fluster being flustered or hyperventilating actually inhaling a double inhale so and then it calms the nervous system down. You actually oxygenate the blood because quite often when we're in a state of shock, we're not actually drawing in oxygen. So the double inhale actually gets us to pull more air into our lungs. So yeah, yeah that was. Wow. Thanks for sharing. So to that, you know how the, the old fashioned technique was to breathe into, and maybe you still do this, is to breathe into a brown paper bag. Yep. What is that doing? Is it's that giving just, you the oxygenation? Because it feels counterintuitive. No. So it's actually just getting you to focus on your breath. Oh, it's just a so tool. bringing you back into an anchored space where you have something tactile that you're doing. Because in those moments where you're experiencing full-blown panic attack, I quite often feel like, is it esoteric or th- th- like I feel out of body. It's almost like I can view myself from a third person sometimes if I get to that stage and it takes me probably about half an hour to an hour to like bring myself down to planet earth and be like, Oh, this is me, my body. I'm the one having this experience. Fuck. I feel like I'm reliving that with you. My, tight, my chest is all tight. <laughs> just everyone um, listening to the podcast now, just take a deep breath in yeah. your nose. Darth, I, I would call that the Darth Vader breath, like that. Te- 
<laughs> Those are all amazing techniques. I think they all come back to breath, don't they? Because I have had a few occasions where I guess you could call them panic attacks. Like in my mind, a panic attack is like there's a there's a underlying fear that you're about to die, right? Like I, I can't breathe. I'm going to die. It feels really primal and scary and I had that just before we moved out here so in January I had a splitting migraine and I I get them occasionally like every quarter I get a killer migraine and I know when it's coming on and I know like I have to shut down everything I can't really look at anything I can't move my head too much and I can manage it and I can and I prefer not to take painkillers because not to be a hero but because I actually find they make me feel quite nauseous and I know there's a space in my mind if I can be really still and just, I I get what you're saying about nobody touch me or like smother me Mm. because it requires focus. Because if I can maintain a state where I'm almost just focusing on my pineal gland between my eyebrows and if I can just focus on that space and I almost imagine going into the pain And this is how I got through childbirth to like labors without painkillers. Again, not to be a hero, but like really just to see, I just wanted to see what your body can do and the pain that you can manage when you're thrust into that situation. And that's such a good anchor for me because I know know I've done that and that's excruciating pain, but manageable when you can go inside And I focus on actually like merging with the pain instead of resisting it. I think our natural tendency in any scary or painful situation is to tense and to resist. And so like to dart between the two in childbirth, when you get a contraction, it's, it's painful. It's like a period pain on steroids and you want to like clench everything. And I had a doula for the second birth which was incredible and a doula is basically a birth coach someone to help you yeah breathe to like manage your pain manage the experience and just having someone remind me to instead of tightening can you think of every contraction as an opportunity to expand because it's it's yin and yang for every contraction there's an expansion so when I feel the tensing my body is actually relaxing and so you're going deeper into it and deeper into yourself Mm. it's very metaphorical yeah no but leaning into it almost and like trusting like you know this is this is guiding me it's not I'm in full control here at all times yeah kind of almost leaning into it but it is a fine dance of like and it requires focus because like when you're in it it's kind of like a a stretch a deep stretch like you know how the yoga teacher and you'd know this as a yoga teacher it's like can you relax into it? And the minute you sort of surrender to the pain, I think surrender is such a key part of these experiences. The minute you just sort of let go and go with it, it releases. And so I was having the migraine and it was just getting so bad and I wasn't able to hold my focus. And um, Joao came in and he's like, babe, just take some painkillers. Here's a couple of ibuprofen, take them. And they were actually like maximum strength. Like I think these were the ones they'd given me when I left the hospital that were like supercharged. <laughs> because I don't normally take them. I just, I think my body's just not used to it. And so I took them and I started to flip out. Like 
the nausea, but also like the heart was racing. And I was like, fuck, I can't, I can't breathe. Like I, I feel like there's tissue paper over my neck and I think I'm going to die. And I actually got Joao and thank God he was there because I was like, I think I'm dying. And he's sorry, I, I don't mean to laugh. It's just such a real experience. And I know that experience. I'm like, yes. <laughs> yeah. And I hopefully other people relate because it's a, it's a panic stricken state and the best thing you can do. And just like what you said with breathing, Joao sat with me and his response to everything is babe, just do four square breathing. And I just wanted to punch him in the face, but I was like, okay, yeah, cool. Let's do it. And he sat and breathed with me like a doula and, and four square breathing um, is like breathe in for four, two, three, four, hold for four, um, release for four, hold for four. So you're sort of like tracing uh, an invisible square in your mind and you can play with the lengths of that and it just regulates you. It brings you back down. And so, I mean, man, it's all about the breath, isn't it? In yoga, we, we truly believe like that the breath is the anchor to the present moment because you cannot retrieve a breath from the past and you can't predict a breath from the future. So yeah, the breaths and staying present with that, that is an anchor to the present moment. And it's the realest thing that we have in regards to breath, touch sensation like just kind of using every single sense that we have just to bring us back down into this moment and whether that means I know a friend that actually um, wears an elastic band because they really struggled with um, panic attacks and to snap them out of it I know it, it just they would flick the, the rubber band and it would get them to feel back into their body rather than this kind of fleeting state of where the mind's going yeah, and it like kind that. of redirects the the pain to the the uh, wrist yeah a little pattern interrupt yeah exactly the other thing i want to say about this idea of is it all in your head i've always sort of struggled with that because my background is in like applied psychology so i did the traditional schooling and university did bachelor of arts where people were like cool you're going to be a manager of mcdonald's so um how dare they look at you go now you tell them girl (laughs) my multi-hyphenated self yes (laughs) Um, but i also on in parallel to that i studied neuro-linguistic programming and timeline therapy and hypnotherapy and um they're all very based in I call them an applied psychology because instead of it just being talk therapy, which has its uses, this is very applied and like, what's your issue? Um, I don't want to hear the content of it. I want to, I want to know, I want to get to the root cause and deal with that issue. And it places a lot of emphasis on you are in control of your reality which is like amazing and also like, fuck, am I? So I'm, I'm in control of everything that happens to me. Like perception is projection. Like whatever you're perceiving is actually what you're projecting from your inner world. It's a lot of responsibility. And I've sort of struggled with the two sides of that of like, well, if you are in control of your reality, surely you can then control your destiny. You can control an illness. You can control, um, how abundant you are, or everything that manifests in your life. 
And on the other side, but then I also think like, does that assume, like it has a really heavy weight to, well, did someone just cause their own illness? Did they like through not thinking the right thoughts, did they create um, Mm. a situation? And I find that- It's a tough one. It's like, who are you to walk in and be like, well, you manifested that because- I don't think it's as black and white as that. I think subconsciously, maybe, and and there's always meaning behind everything in life, right? Like once you've moved through it, you're like, I get what that meant. I get, I get why I got bitten by a tick. I know what that means for me now. Um, and this whole yeah. concept of having to associate meaning with incidences—that's what Ahmed actually catches me out on. He's like, you, you have this tendency of like in a non-derogatory way but like he's like you have a tendency of like trying to assign meaning of everything that happens in your life to you know the tip for example for you the tick for me it's the skin stuff and or whatever it may be but I do try and find meaning within like everything that does cross my path but I I think I perceive it more from the fact of I try to take the lesson from my experience. So when I am faced with a potential tick bite in the future, I will respond differently. And I think that's where the beauty is in this experience. It's like, okay, so it's happened and I can keep on looping through the same story, you know, going at this the same way that I have in the past, but then I'm not going to, what's that, what's that saying? Um, doing the same thing over and over and again, expecting a different result is the definition, definition of sense. Yeah. yeah. So, but I also think, yeah, from your standpoint, that whole concept of, oh, this person wished it upon themselves. I think that's a very false narrative. I think there is a lot of aspects that come into play, for example, socioeconomic background, um, their religion, uh, conditioning. There is, there are so many aspects that come into play. But I think just keeping in mind that at any given point, we have a choice. And I heard this beautiful thing. It's like noting down what the situation is. And then from that situation, from what you've written down, pinpointing exactly the aspects that you can control, that you as an individual have control over, and then running with that and that's where you're able to mold manifest and and kind of change the narrative Mm -hmm. around the aspects that you do actually have control of because a lot of people out there don't have control over particular aspects yeah but then we could go into the quantum field and I because I I know this oh this is a whole nother conversation itself it is and I think we should zip it up soon and, and leave that for another time but sort of be comfortable being in the space of um, maybe you caused it, maybe you didn't, but you're in control of what happens next. And and that stuff you said earlier about it becoming part of your identity, I think is really important. And I think only the person with the, let's call it the issue or the symptoms or whatever it may be can really tell whether it merged with their identity or it's a separate experience and I know like as a teaser into the quantum field conversation which I think would be great to dive into is the minute you can detach yourself from that identity is the minute that like miracles happen and 
I think that detachment can look like a lot of things like surrendering to it not in a state of apathy like oh well that's those are the cards I've been dealt but a state of like I'm not at the quantum intelligence to unravel this but I am surrendering to the healing that needs to take place or the the relationship to resolve the way it needs to and the work that you get to do and the control you have is to get yourself in the state to operate at that frequency and I'll leave it there because we're getting into quantum. We are, but even just at the end of the day, folks, you really have nothing to lose. So play with the universe. Give it a try. What's the worst that can happen? Nothing. Play ball. Play ball. (laughs) Literally. Have a bit of play ball with the universe. Yeah. All right. We're going to wrap that one up because that was a pretty long one. And um, I hope you can shake it off with us because that was pretty intense in the end. Shake it up. All right. Thank you for tuning in, folks. And as always, if you liked uh, the episode, give us a thumbs up and a comment and make sure you share it with a friend. Bye. Bye for now.